here we go. What is up, everyone? Uh, it's been a bit of a week. Been a bit of a week since we did the last one, so yeah, we've uh, put some together. This one's actually been available uh, for a few days. Well, it's probably been done for a full full week, but um, I'm kind of learning a few more things and yeah, just kind of putting everything together um, in one go. So yeah, we've waited a waited a week to release this one, so sorry about that. But uh, yeah, we'll just keep seeing how it all goes it all seems to be going pretty cool getting a lot of views and likes and all that kind of shit so that's uh, pretty cool but anyway this episode of the podcast is brought to you by atpi the the awesome man there uh ian sinderson he's uh kindly obviously supports me and supports the podcast uh, CPM Builders Mildura, Mally Bearings Mildura, Zilzy Wines, Red Care Logistics in the UK, uh, STE Engineering. Uh, we were, the last one was with Jason, so I got a few cool responses back from that one, uh, which was pretty nice. And uh, this one is brought to you by the Talk Speedway Podcast. Um, the guy I'm talking to, he uh, he is the one of the founders of the Talks Freeway podcast. Um, I actually didn't really know they were doing it. I kind of, whenever I type something in the podcast search, I I normally stick it on. I put Speedway in there and see what's available. But um, yeah, and probably about a month ago, <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I seen it was available, and then boom there the guy was that I'm going to interview uh, very shortly. Um, yeah, I'm going to interview Scott Frame. Uh, he's a guy that's been been around the traps. He's uh, done a lot for the Speedway media side of things. And yeah, he's, he's just a good mate. Um, when I signed up in Edinburgh in 2014, I got to know him quite well. And in 2015... Uh, he was helping Derek Snedden in um, 2014 and then Derek retired as the captain of Edinburgh when we won the won the triple. And then, yeah, Framey was kind of available the next year so he was floating about and coming around to some race meetings with me and uh, we talk about that in the podcast. And yeah, interesting guy. He's um, always there to help and have fun with the boys so yeah so yeah give it up for the legend scott frame welcome welcome to the show framey thanks very much mate delighted i know you've just told me it's not an interview which i'm absolutely delighted about <laughs> yeah we're, we're um yeah we're, we're figuring it all out mate she's just rolling on so absolutely absolutely i'm What's just hoping that nothing much mate uh, just rolling away, uh, trying to get through this COVID period, um, which is obviously tough. Try to get through all the speedway news. It's um, try to keep up with things. Is even though there's not a lot of racing, there's a lot of people with well, a lot of things kind of obviously happening. Obviously, a lot of riders are out of work at the minute, which is not ideal. Um, just seeing what everybody's doing. Try to keep abreast of the the kind of Polish and Swedish stuff and that is happening, but I've got to admit it's not my thing. It's not my thing. No, 
no, it's a it's a pretty shit time. I don't really know. Even me, the last couple of weeks, I've just felt like shit because um, the whole like Victoria's gone into lockdown big time. So yeah, we're kind of knackered at the minute and just can't do anything. It's shit. Yeah. It's, it's even here Scotland's different to England as well where you've um we are like four weeks back three or four weeks behind England as well so we are we are now watching what's happening down south and then expecting it to happen up here and then we've seen through the kind of footballers making a bit of an arse of yourself by going away to Spain and then not quarantining and stuff we're seeing that all kicking off as well so it's um it's a bit shite, isn't it, really? It's just try to get through it all. Just yeah. not being able to travel and not being able to do anything. It's just a bit bollocks, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, that's and it. That's it. It's, um, how did it go with you? Because you run the restaurant. Are you still in the restaurant? No, I sold it, mate. I sold that you now. Sold so, it. Yeah, I sold it. Uh, what was that? Probably uh, end of last year where we sold it. Um, probably lucky that we did to be perfectly honest with you um, just get out at the right time uh, before all this kicked off um, so I'm really glad that we got out of that to be perfectly honest so just been um, working in the, the with the fraud team at, uh, at a bank that I'm not allowed to name <laughs> on things like this <laughs> um, so uh, it's been a bit of a change of career and obviously we've just been you know me said I like to dodge about with uh, uh, the kind of speedway stuff just try to keep involved where I can and um, yeah it's been tough as you know we obviously we've got the what we probably term now that you've got this podcast a rival podcast um, <laughs> so that, that, that keeps us busy and stuff like that so it's um it's been good, man. I've actually enjoyed, I think, through lockdown, uh, because we had a plan in place for the podcast um, about where we wanted to take it. Actually, because there's been no racing, it's actually took us in a direction that we never thought we would go. Um, yeah. In terms of speaking to all these kind of legends of the sport, like for like Anita when we were growing up. So that's been brilliant. That's probably my highlight of lockdown, if you can have one <laughs> through COVID, yeah, is I, actually speaking to these guys, man. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I've seen you You're speaking to, like, Carl Stone, you are Martin Dugard. Uh, you've had everyone out. You've had, like, Scott Nichols and everyone on there, though. Yeah, yeah, we've had, we've had some great guests, man. And it's the, the thing is, it's like... It's try to keep everything fresh as well. You know yourself by trying to get people on your podcast now and try to give uh, people different angles and stuff with different opinions and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I speaking to Stoney was like you. I've obviously <laughs> known you. I've obviously known you for a, a good few years now and worked with you and stuff. And uh, you know what Stoney was like for me, and um, he was like my ultimate speedway hero. So that was um, that was amazing. See, you just spend like I think we edited that down to about an hour, but we think we were we were all, we were with him for about an hour and forty five minutes, yeah. and it was just it was brilliant. It was like stuff 
I think the best stuff is the be- the stuff that you can't really put out <laughs> because yeah. um, it's like the stories and you're like, oh, I don't really know if we would get away with that if we put that out. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm no good with the edit button, mate. Mine just gets loaded up and then that's it. So. <laughs> Brilliant. So uh, I, one thing I wanted to ask you was obviously you were in Scotland just before lockdown kind of kicked in seen the mm. Glasgow boys, obviously the Glasgow boys like to do their pre-season things and stuff like that. How did you find uh, the hill walk and the cold? Because I know you don't deal with cold that well. So... No, it was... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I said it, you know, I said it on the podcast a couple of times. I was just like, it was just, it was just terrible, to be honest. If it was like going to hell, but cold. <laughs> so, and it wasn't, it was about halfway through uh, Cookie's, He's got these gloves that were like um, they're like thermal gloves or whatever. They they had heating in them. And I stuck them on, and actually, as soon as I put them on, like within ten minutes, I was fine. But <laughs> before that, I was fucking, I was hopeless, man. I couldn't walk up it. I was just hanging at the back. I just did not want to do it. <laughs> and yeah, I was I was probably the last one up, but I guarantee you, I was the first one down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's uh, it's not my idea of fun walking up a snowy hill. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the worst bit was like when we got back, we got uh, Glasgow got this hotel and shit, and um, we got back in, and uh, the guys there, he's like, oh, it's been busy the gym and that today. I don't know if the hot water will be that hot. And I said, fucking hell, man. I said I needed to be boiling, <laughs> and and uh. <laughs> Anyway, I went and had a share. It wasn't really that hot. It was I was freezing, so I'm like jumping in the sauna, getting in the spa, and then I still was cold. <laughs> and then, uh, then I just got the I got the hair dryers out in the gym bathroom, and I was just putting it on my feet and I was fucking trying to get them warmed up a bit. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I put that I put that story on Instagram, and the amount of people that sent me uh, messages about it, it was it was pretty funny, but. That was a good thing. It's pretty cool. Because I, I heard you speaking to Todd about the um, Armadale press days being cold. <laughs> I've been to yeah, a few yeah, cold ones cold. at Armadale. They're cold. The coldest one I ever was at was at, uh, was at Glasgow. And the day before, um, not sure what year this was, maybe about 2013, I think it was. And uh, it snowed. <laughs> the day of the press yeah. day, and yeah, uh, well, Shane Parker said to me, he said at press day he used to write the light the oil can up with methanol, put methanol in it, and then light it up, and then everyone would just stand around that. <laughs> <laughs> that press day I was on about the the it snowed, but they they were wanting to. Joe Screen was racing for Glasgow at the time. So they had they had screeny out in the track, like doing wheelies and stuff like that in the snow. Made for a good Christmas card. Um <laughs> but then you had um the badger, old hen and hen and bear, actually went out and was was like going round doing laps, practice starts yeah. It was like what, what are you doing, man? It's snow. I don't what what are you learning for this? It's like what are you doing? Just come back and well, it was the old bar at Glasgow at the time and it was like what are we what are we doing here? It's like what kind of press are you going to get from 
<laughs> trying to get speed <laughs> bikes out in the snow. It's not ice gladiators we're doing here. Ashfield style. Ashfield's changed yeah. that's the same right enough, but it's um I it was it's kinda crazy. But yeah, you do get some cold uh, press and practice sessions as well. I'm pretty sure there was the one at Sheffield as well, which was snowed off. Um mm. just goes to show British we try to get the season going way too early, I think. Like yeah. When 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 do you guys go over about February time or something? Yeah, it's about it's about the start of March. But then Scotland, the two Scottish clubs do it pretty good. They do it at like they they start in April, don't they? Yeah, yeah, try so, to start February. Yeah, so they might have an away fixture or something, but their first home match is normally the first week of April and I always think if it goes from April to October, in the middle of October, I think that's that's the ideal time, and I think. Yeah, I mean, because even in October, when you're getting to the end of September, especially Armadale, you're getting pretty cold at that point, uh, cold Friday nights. Like, even the night where we, we won the league, that night was pretty cold. Was pretty yeah, cold. 31st of October. Oh, it was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty cold. Because it was the meta fixtures we had at that point as well. I think we ran something like three double headers in October or something. It yeah. I know you think balance. <laughs> <laughs> it was good after the final anyway. Was that max? Yeah. Yeah, the club went broke, but uh, everyone's bank balances was good. <laughs> <laughs> what, that, 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 how insane was that season, though? Oh, man, that was... when they If they had a book about that, or like a movie... You could write a movie about it. It was like everyone... It's just weird how it happened. You put a team together and it just worked. Like... To be perfectly honest, I didn't really – I knew Cookie to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know Derek that well. I only knew him to say hello. And then obviously we didn't know Aaron Fox. He was just fresh over. And Stevie Worrell had kind of – he had a pretty bad year the year before mm-hmm. and signed him on a three-point average, and then he finished the year on a nine. Stevie was so, insane that year. That was, it was insane. Just the ch- how can you raise your average by about six and a half points one season? That's yeah. mental, crazy, yep. crazy. That was like that was. It honestly was the the time of my life, anyway. Because mm-hmm. we, what did we do? Twenty six meetings unbeaten. Was it twenty six? Yep. So, some something like that. I remember it came and then that Peterborough. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember Derek saying in the van on the way home, thank fuck for that. And I was like, <laughs> what, what, what do you mean? And he was like, I am sick to fucking death listening about unbeaten runs. And he's like, is daft. He says it kind of works the same as when you're struggling for a win and everybody's thinking, ah, they're never going to get that win. Except the opposite, where people are just like, when are they going to get beat? And um, he's like, thank fuck that monkey's off it. To be fair, after that as well, see, after that one defeat, I'm pretty sure there was like another unbeaten run on the back of that as well. Yeah, I think, I think. Because everywhere we went, we were just like, it was just that there was never really any doubt about not winning. 
it was such a yeah. it was a good it was like a good feeling like everything that year between riders and and it, you know what it's like said you go to teams and it's there's like sometimes you get I'm saying this as if I'm a rider, by the way. I'm not saying it with that at all, but I've been involved in it for a, <laughs> a long time. And it's like, you see teams and it's like individuals, like where they'll just, they can't stand one another or can't stand to be in one another's company and they just keep themselves to themselves. It wasn't like that at all. It was like all the mechanics, all the riders, we were all in it as kind of one that year. I think yeah, what helped... Was- I think what helped was the night out <laughs> in Edinburgh. Yeah. That was that was that was brilliant. What a night that was! I mean, the yeah, that, was... that night was, was, yeah. was the funniest guy on the planet. That night he was just two Coronas and he was gone. Um, <laughs> that, that was a special night. But it was it was strange was... for like. See the Scottish guy, like me and Derek, we're kind of like standing back. Like it's just like having never drank with Aussies or Americans for that matter. And it was like you <laughs> see like different ways of life about when they get a drink in each other. And it was just, it was funny. It was like, what a night. I think, I genuinely don't think I stopped drinking at about six in the morning or something. Yeah. Uh, I, remember, sure. I remember just like, I remember, I remember we organised it, and it was after a meeting, wasn't it, or it got rained off? I think it was a rain off. I'm pretty sure it was yeah. a rain. If it was Edinburgh and it was Armadale, it was definitely a rain off. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we but, all we we kind of had it organised, but it was at the start of the season, and like we were riding at the time, and then. Uh, what did we do? We just, it got rained off and we're like, oh, that's fucking good. We're not riding the night. And then we all just <laughs> went and got on the piss. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> was, and uh, what was that shot you give us? That shot, the Scotty shot or whatever? No, what it was, the bar we went into was um, at Buckfast. Yeah. And, uh, it was funny. It was like, uh, I remember standing at the bar and like, try to explain what Buckfast was to Australians and Americans and it was like (laughs) everybody took a shot of it it was like it's not that bad and then about five deep in them it was like you could see everybody's mood (laughs) changing quite quite (laughs) rapidly Um, uh, so yeah when uh, when you get the boys on the Buckfast it's Uh, shit, shit happens like when when that yeah. goes down. It was good, man. It was like I think that that was what got everybody together. I think, and it's like when you see it now, and you, you people talk about team spirit, you'll never ever beat that team for team spirit. Um, no, it's like it was like a total like kind of throwback, old fashioned thing. Get the boys in the drink, and it'll get everybody together. Instead of this nonsense climbing up a hill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, the, we never did get... no training camp that year, but I, I reckon uh, <laughs> a, a lot to do with that was um, to do with Derek. Yeah. Derek, yeah. Was, Derek was this. He was still the old school speedway rider with the speedway bars and he was little. and But then, like, as soon as he rocked up at press day, he just opened the van door and he's like, 
Hey, you going, boys? What's going on? Like, it was just like, yeah. fucking hell. We, like, we didn't really know him. And he was just like, I can't do a Scottish accent real good. But he was just full <laughs> on, full on in our face straight away. Well, not in our face, but just like straight to the point. And then if there was ever a problem, he just spoke to Derek. And then, like, he had many of face-to-face arguments with John and Alex. <laughs> it was just yeah. like, you know. Derek has something to say, he'll say it. That's the thing, and I, I think that's what. See, as a team captain, when you when you see it, you get, everybody has their own different styles or whatever. I've spoke to Derek about it, like at length, about being a good captain and a good team guy. And like even he can't put his finger on what what that actually is. Just his natural mm-hmm. character, and his natural character kind of brings the team together. The difference in Derek when from like when you're just getting the vans unloaded to him putting the Kevlar's on and coming back, like most riders I suppose, was completely different, you know, and it's like it's just that it gets into that zone and like I like track walks were from what he tells me anyway, <laughs> were eventful that year as well. Um Yeah. Uh, he's just a, a, a good guy to have around and do you know what, I, I think it puts points on people, I really do, like maybe, I think that's the thing about being a good captain, it's not about the, a point shoe score, which is obviously good if you've got a number one who's a captain who can go out and score 15 points and he's kind of leading the way, but when you've got a guy like Derek who's perhaps at the bottom end of the team, who can actually put points on other people by the way he acts with you, um, yeah, and basically give you a bollocking as well when you needed it. I've seen I've seen him give riders bollockings before as well. Like it's not mm-hmm. all roses. He's 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 good for that. Well, you yeah. obviously that night with um, funny the Jason Garrity thing. Uh, oh when, yeah, uh, he chose the completely wrong person <laughs> to hook. Um, in the middle of the track. <laughs> yeah. And then I was sat in the pits and we know what Gary's like as well. He's like, he has totally the wrong guy to pick a fight with. Like, completely wrong guy. And then, <laughs> but that's Derek's style as well. If there is someone that's wrong to do that with, he'll find them. He will find them. It's like he's like a magnet for stuff like that. And then when... Yeah. Uh, when he was sat in the pits and Gary, he was still going, he was still yapping, still talking, still talking. And Derek was sat there and I could see the steam coming out his ears. He's like, oh, fuck this. And he went, he went in for round two and I'm like, are you fucking mental? And then when we <laughs> went, to, went to Cardiff, maybe about three weeks later, Derek stood at the bar and who walks up next to him? But fucking Jason Garrity. <laughs> <laughs> Derek said his arse fell out his trousers at that point he shat himself because he thought oh, fuck <laughs> no no but it'd be fair to Gary he just threw, he threw his arms around him and said what's happening and stuff like that so he was good but uh, talk about the wrong guy to pick a fight with it's, yeah. uh, uh, it was a good it was a good year man and the celebrations at the end of it and everything were insane it was just a, it was just a good time to be involved with it all and there'll never be a year like that never i don't 
it was the fact that everyone was involved, like everyone, like the mechanics, the riders, and then it was like all the fans and then all the management, everyone was in a group together. Yeah. <clears throat> like you just couldn't beat it. We went every meeting, every home meeting, we went to the bar after it and nine times out of ten, well, yeah, probably nine times out of ten, you'd have like nine fucking Coronas too many. <laughs> and that, you know, that everyone was like, you know, if we're riding the next day, you'd probably have like three or four beers and then go home. But if we went riding the next day, we just hung out with everyone. Yeah. And it just created this amazing bond that could never be broken. Yeah. Never. That could never, never change. Even like when Foxy got injured or Stevie missed the meeting because of the National League or Swindon or whatever, or it just it didn't change the whole time, which is mm-hmm. pretty amazing, really. Oh, it was great. But it was good. I don't, I don't know how you could replicate it. I don't really know how it could happen. Don't know at all because right. they took a chance. They took a chance on Stevie. They took a chance on me. Sam had had a year off, so they'll kind of 50-50 going on in on that because he's had one year off. Mm-hmm. Cookie was obviously going to be a big – like he took all the points in the team. It was mm-hmm. Ricky's second year. They took a chance for Foxy. And then Derek was – it was kind of his swan song. That was going to be his last year. So it just all snowballed into the right spot, I guess. It was. It was – a perfect storm with everything, but when when you look through the team, like probably as much as you didn't think that Cookie could put points in his average, he did. Sam did, you did, Stevie did, Max did, and it was just it was like this perfect storm that came together. And you know what, Edinburgh Edinburgh fans are probably just before I don't know just before or whatever, but. Edinburgh fans expect there's a mentality there of winning and being involved in the playoffs every year. And, like, I think that comes from John and Alex are an acquired taste, is the polite way I'm going to put it, in terms (laughs) of the way they go about everything. And they've obviously been hugely, hugely successful. Uh, and what they've did, but the expectation comes from there, right at the top of the club. That it's like every year, it's not just playoffs that they're aiming for. They're aiming for they want to win. Do you know? It's um, mm-hmm. and now when you th- I've obviously seen it from different angles now that I'm not involved with Edinburgh, where you look at it and you think that not every club has the same expectations. And I think that comes from the top, where it'd be John and Alex, um, and then it filters down to the riders and the fans expect as well. That's the thing is that the Edinburgh fans are used to being in the playoffs every year and competing for silverware. And when it when it doesn't happen, then there's an appreciation for everybody. I think Edinburgh, in terms of the fan base and stuff, that you. You you'll know yourself that you you get a lot of support for the the fan base as well. That's now I would say in being close to kind of Glasgow. I don't live that far away from the Glasgow track, and 
knowing the guys that are involved there, that's kind of when that's now transformed over to there. And I see the you'll know yourself by now having a, a small taste of what it's been like it, to be a Glasgow rider without actually racing for them yet. You'll know the expectation that the, they've got. It's we're not here to make up numbers, we're here to win. And if you're not mm. here to win, you're not going to be here. It's um, yeah, it's good. I, I like that mentality. The, the mentality of well, it's not just playoffs we're looking for here. I want to, I want to win. I like, I like the taste of champagne. So I want, I want that at the end of the season. You know, it's, um, but as you say, it's try. How how do you replicate that? How do you get that together? I think the big thing in that team sedge was the fact that everybody was like either Aussie, Australian, or British, and Aussie, everybody... Australian, or British. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, exactly. But everybody speaks in one language. It's the we're yeah. all similar kind of backgrounds, and you can all go on like that. Like you, not dissing any foreigners or whatever. But some when when you get, get that as well, there was not too many distractions that year in terms of nah. as much as maybe riders maybe rode in the other leagues within British Speedway. There was not a hell of a lot of foreign commitments going on at that point. Maybe the odd Danish meeting here or there or whatever it may be. And everybody was just fully concentrated on what they were doing. And just say, probably nearly bankrupt Edinburgh at that point. Yeah. Um, it's funny but... you say that because we were talking, <clears throat> we're on track walk. And I think, yeah, it was Fricky. Fricky's like, oh, I need to get this meeting done. And and go down to Stance. I had to go somewhere or something, or there was going to be a rearranged fixture. And um, and I understand what he was saying. He wanted to ride in Denmark, whatever it was. He was he had a pretty important meeting for another club, but it was on like in Europe, like on the continent. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty much the other six guys just said, "Nah, fuck that. You're riding with us." And then you just seen his his facial expression changed like, oh, hang on a minute. Like, no, nah, these are the boys. Like, we're, I'm staying here. And he actually didn't do that meeting. He he stopped and did the Edinburgh one. But he didn't have to. It was like a rearranged fixture. And that, that showed a lot of Max of saying, no, nah, I'm actually here to win with the boys. Like, that's yeah. what it was like. And that's what everyone was like. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty crazy that everyone, like m- myself and Sam, we obviously wanted to go ride in the elite league and like as an Aussie going over there, you obviously want to ride in the most countries you can. You want to do as most meetings as you can. And, but there wasn't any time where we thought, ah, shit, Edinburgh's going to get in the way or whatever. It was just, that was what we wanted to do. That was our bread and butter. And we all yeah. went along with it. I know I did a couple of meetings at, in Austro. And I remember get, I got to the meeting. I had to go get a medical and I couldn't get one. And I rocked up to Edinburgh. It was like 6.45, I'm pretty sure. I had to go to Berwick to get this medical so I could get my FOM license finished and all that because I was just riding in the UK at the time. And then I went and did one in um, Poland, two in Poland. I had to go get the medical. And if it wasn't for... I think it was Alex. Alex rang a doctor in Berwick and he said, go down there now. And it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. 
And I was just like, fucking hell, the meeting starts in like three hours or whatever. And he's like, no, nah, you'll get down there and you'll get back and you'll be in, in time. So even though they, we all had the theory in our mind that Edinburgh was number one, they were still willing to help in other areas yeah. to say, you know, you've got to chase everything you can get. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure the boys weren't short of offers that season either. No, nah, well, Fricky, Fricky was pretty much doing every meeting for Bellevue. Mm-hmm. I hear a it, lot it, it, of guest meetings in the Elite League that year. I think I went to Swindon with him one Thursday because he was guesting for Coventry. I'm sure it was a TV meeting. In fact, funny story about that meeting was um, <laughs> I've got I had two, two stories about that, actually. So Max had phoned us basically that morning, said, can you give me a hand? Because basically, okay, I'm not not sure if Max could drive at that point. Um, yeah, I think was, he could, so, so, but he didn't like yeah. it. <laughs> so basically, he was like, can you come with us? It was like, he's basically had a phone call that morning. It was going to be in Sky. So I was working and I was like, uh, give me five minutes. So I managed to get somebody to cover for me at work to basically so I could go away but still get paid for my day's work <laughs> so <laughs> fucking uh, uh yeah right okay no bother right i'm on my way so half about 45 minutes because he was living in armadale at the time <clears throat> so comes and picks me up gets down to swindon and uh, obviously the meeting's on sky so a few of the guys in work because i'd been involved in the speedway had started watching it and uh one of the guys was one of the bosses where I was working. So he had put on the Sky meeting. He just flicked on Sky Sports. Now, he hadn't seen me all day. He was wondering where I was. And uh, <laughs> now they do the bits where they're coming in and out of adverts where they've got like, mechanics down doing something on the bike or they've got riders who are fixing goggles and all that kind of stuff. There's me balancing the wheel, the back wheel <laughs> on Sky. <laughs> and then uh, they interviewed Max uh, right after it, and there's me in the background. So fucking phone's gone off. I knew I hadn't seen you all day. Are you, where are you? And I was like, I'm, I'm in the house. I'm watching this video. No, you're not. I can, I can see you on Sky Sports. You're talking rubbish. So that was the first one. I nearly <laughs> get sacked for it. But uh, <laughs> Max, was, Max was a wee bit wet behind the ears at the time. And yeah. uh, we gets to Swindon. And uh, so because it wasn't the no their normal race night, I'm sure there was dogs on that day. Um, so all the vans were in the car park. Uh, just at the back, just before you would go into the back of the pits to park. So basically the vans were kind of queuing up. Uh, see the back straight, really, at the back of the back straight. And um, mm. so obviously all the guys are there getting set up for the sky stuff. So there's a scaffold. So obviously the, the stand that you would see Nigel and Kelvin on um, do, for the commentary, they were setting up with the scaffold for it. Guy starts reversing up the car park and uh, reverses straight into Max's van. And... Um, <laughs> It's like, what the fuck? So Max is like, what do, what do we do here? And I was like, you need to swap details with him. So he's on the phone to uh, Ronnie Anderson at the time, uh, who was who was sorting a van for Max, let's see what the insurance details were and stuff. 
so the guy the guy gets out and he was like <clears throat> some like to the guy uh what what's your name buddy some right i've got the pen the bit of paper ready write the guy's name down he says um she's like no the, my company will sort it and i was like no no i need your name so that when we speak to the insurance like we know who was driving the thing whatever he was deemed fucking very funny about the situation right so he was yeah yeah like, uh, didn't want to give the name so i was like mate we need we need your name what's your name and he went um uh, uh bill shakespeare and i went <laughs> and my and i thought it was max it was writing the name down so max went to write down bill shakespeare and i went hold on hold on a minute i was like max <laughs> I was like, mate, what's your fucking name? And he's like, <laughs> what do you mean? I was like, your name is not William Shakespeare. What the fuck's your name? And he's like, uh, oh no, I changed it by Deedpool. I was like, I was looked at him and I was, why the fuck would you change your name to William Shakespeare? He's like, oh, I thought it would be funny. I was like... It's not that funny in this situation, is it? If you reverse a, a van into another van, like what are you talking about? But Max is just like, again, wet behind the ears. His face was just like blank. He's like, I've not got a clue what's going on here. Like, who's William Shakespeare? Max is an intelligent boy as well. Um, yeah, it was funny. Just like a big scrape right along the van that William Shakespeare had done. You can write it. It was like fucking hell, man. What the fuck. <laughs> But that yeah. the kind of stories, that's what kind of... Was that the same year that we went to Croatia? No, nah, I was just about to say that. That was 2015 we went to Croatia. Was that 2000? That was the next year. That was a fucking yeah. adventure as well. <laughs> three days sat in a van, right? With two or three days in a van to get to King Croatia. Yeah, you uh, drove around the world. <laughs> I said on the way home... To Stevie, it was ways. It was like, so we had dropped you. It was that Cologne? We had dropped you on the way back because you had to fly back, and we were going. Yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a scary moment, wasn't it? That was when I was going to get deported. Aye, you didn't <laughs> remember know if you had to get the back into the UK. Aye, we, yeah. we didn't know whether you were going to get back into the UK or not. But mm. I remember saying to Stevie on the way back, um, it's a bad day when you get into Holland and you think. Oh, we're nearly home. <laughs> like you, you've been driving that long, you're, you're in Holland. You're like, oh, we're nearly back now. We're nearly there. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and because um, we we basically packed up the van the minute the meeting finished, because we had to be at Scunthorpe for the Monday. So it was, was like it Monday. Yeah, it was uh, Monday, wasn't it? So the meeting finished in the Saturday night, and we had to be in Scunthorpe on the Monday. And I think we literally mm. we literally got there as you got there. Because uh, you had come down for Edinburgh with Sam. And we, mm. literally, we had literally got there like an hour before that or something. So that was it's a lot of miles clocked up that week. Um, oh. Definitely. And that was the first time yeah. I'd fucking ever really started or rode a speedway bike as well. I don't know if you know <laughs> this, right? Because it was one of them don't tell Sedge because he'll go off his fucking head. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> Stevie will laugh at this, right? Um, I hope he laughs at this. So, before the meeting, you had said, if I get, get the second bike, start, when I'm on track, make sure the second bike started, just in case something happens with a bike, you can bring the spare bike out. Sound. Yeah. 
looking about at me, me, Stevie, and Big Al. <laughs> who the fuck is going to ride the bike out? And of course, dickhead here gets gets a gets that job. So fucking, I'm I'm in the pits next next to the Pavlitskis. Um, the two of them were in the meeting. So yeah, first heat you go out. Um, I've got the bike, so we managed to get this. Fuck knows how we managed to get this started, right? I've still no idea how I, how we got the bike started. I'm sure I went round the car park in Gorishan about four times trying to get this thing started. You were already it. <laughs> so I've got the bike on its side, trying to look cool in the pits, got the bike on its side, just keeping the back wheel going, yes, I've got it started. Yeah, I'm the man here. And um, so you had said, if I give the signal, bring the second bike out. But <laughs> what happened was... Like at the start of every meeting, riders put the left hand up for the green light for the ref to flash the green right. So you've <laughs> did that at the starting gate. You've got the bike on its side. You've signaled to the referee to flash the green light, so you know where it is. Stevie's fucking thought that there's there's an issue with the bike, so he was standing <laughs> at the pit gate. He's running back. He's like, "Framey, Framey." He's like, "He's fuck. He needs a second bike." And I'm like, "Ah, oh, fuck. There's about ten thousand people in here." Ah oh, shit, I'm not riding this bike out, so I'm like, I start riding the bike towards the pit gate, and then fucking, at that, the four riders fly past, because obviously the heat started, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> what the fuck, so I'm, I'm trying to stop the bike, and then that was, that was the heat where fucking Kyle Newman nearly ended up in the stand, because he'd been right <laughs> yeah, over the fucking highway, uh, but he wasn't the only one to have a crash. <laughs> <laughs> me and, me and Kyle Newman had crashed at the same at the same minute. Um, maybe try to stop this stop this speedway bike. I've never been so relieved. Not that Kyle crashed, but I've never been so relieved that there wasn't an issue because because the the place was rammed. Like um, it was about ten thousand people in the stadium. And I'm thinking, ah fuck, I really don't want to ride this bike out here. Never been so nervous in my life. Because that was a big one that Kyle had, and I was like, fuck. But obviously, then you can back into the pits or whatever, and it was like, don't tell him, fucking don't tell him, man, that, that never happened. <laughs> Pretty sure that's the first time you've heard that story, but funny. Well, that is, I haven't heard that one, so you crashed it. I never, I never quite, I crashed it into someone to stop it. Pretty sure it was Big Al. I'm pretty sure Big Al was hanging about, smoking about 10 fags at the one time. Um, <laughs> he was just kind of looking at us like, what the fuck are you doing for me? And I'm like, don't, don't ask, man. Don't, don't ask. I'm like, try to get it back into the pit base as soon as I possibly could, having a look round about it to make sure it was okay. But uh, <laughs> good times, man. It was funny, man. That was a good trip. That was a good trip. Um, I never, I've never heard that one. Aye, so it was just, it's, I just remember Steve, like, Framey, because he started running back up, he's like, Framey, there's an issue, and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but we were alright, after, after we got that out of the way, we were okay, we were fine after that, <laughs> but it was just fucking good times, man, it was it was good, it was good, but that was, uh, that, that was a good trip. That was the first, that was the first time you'd met Phil Cramp, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, so it was funny, oh, cool. that. The, the night before, obviously, when we were sitting and 
uh, Phil was telling the stories about Jason and obviously Thomas Gobb and stuff. I think I think that's the quietest I've ever been in my whole life. Uh, when you're acting, <laughs> see when you're in awe of someone, and like you you realise that the guy sat in front of you is a complete legend. Um, mm-hmm. who there's times in your life when you talk, and there's times in your life when you listen. That was very mm. much a time in my life where you just sat back and you just just listened to the stories and just, it was good, man, see you being that kind of company and just listen to his stories about Jason and the GPs and talking about fights with Cobb and things like that. It was, um, it was good, man. It was like, yeah, it was definitely a time to be listening and just take in what somebody like that is saying. It's, um, it was good. It was always good for you from being there as well. It was, Obviously, environment like because I think we, did we not have a beer, like one beer, literally a beer, and you ended up because the ref was in the same restaurant that we were in in Gorishan. Yeah, ended yeah. <laughs> ended yeah. up the breathalyzer the next day. Yeah, I was I was on the bloody I was on the bag, but um, yeah, you, when you're just sitting there listening to him, if he, if he spoke on a microphone, you'd think, oh, this guy's pretty shy. But oh. then when he started talking, you're just like, the stories he told you, is, it's unbelievable. He's like, it's like 50 years at Speedway. I know. Yeah. I know. I know. And <clears> it, <throat> as I say, when you're sitting listening to these stories about, like, about Jason, it's like... Neil <laughs> Street. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sit and telling you stories about Neil as well, and you're just sitting there and just listen and like obviously there's certain things we probably can't say <laughs> in terms yeah. of what he, what he was saying that night um it was uh it was brilliant just to hear that like the stories and like what was it one gp as well jason sent him to the stand because he was like i think he called him a ginger whatever uh, the ginger, <laughs> the ginger anger kicked in at one point during the GP, and he actually said he sent Phil to the stand. He didn't want to see him anymore. <laughs> so it's when you hear stuff there's, like there's, that, it's... <clears throat> yeah, it's pretty crazy. The story with Gollum, it wasn't actually Thomas Gollum; it was Jacob Gollum, Jacob Gollum. Yep. Because um, that's a that's the funniest story I've ever heard in my life. It's a. Uh, Jason, what was Jason? He was unbeaten all day at Big Gosh. And then Jacob Olsen was going pretty – oh, not Jacob Olsen. Jacob Gold was going pretty good as well. <clears throat> and then they've wheeled the other bike out of the garage. And uh, Phil – well, Jason said to Phil, he goes, oh, here's the 600. And Phil goes, fucking hope it would be. <laughs> and then um, they did heat 15. They dropped the clutch and off they went. And then uh, Jakob has put Jason fair in the fence, like like smashed him. But Jason stayed on. And I'm only telling this story because I think everyone needs to know. But um, <laughs> Jason's gone down the back straight and Phil's standing in the pits and he goes, I watched him go down the back straight and I could see the fucking steam coming out of his helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and he come in and... Anyway, Jason was on a maximum and um, Jakob beat him. And uh, Jason comes in. Don't know if I really should be telling it, saying the story, but Jason's like, I'm going to go fucking hit him. And Phil goes, fucking good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, 
Oh, and bro, Jason yeah. went over there and I think he give give Jacob a smack around the ear and then Phil <laughs> Phil's gone running in because there's about twenty Polish people around him and he he goes, I didn't know who, what was going on, but I was just hitting whoever I could and then at the end of it I got Golub's old man in the headlock. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then he goes and I had him in a headlock and I was fucking squeezing and squeezing as hard as I could. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, I, I, rem- I remember that comment. Uh, I think it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> fucking good idea. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, excellent. But, then, wasn't it, uh, but he said the story the night before. And then he was at Gorican the next day. Mm-hmm. Was that right? He, yeah, he, like they it. walked in. Yeah, and they the fucking there. They were talking to each other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just say, aye, that's. I suppose that's the nature of the sport, really, isn't it? It's like yeah. so many things get happen in the the heat of the moment, really, don't they? And it's because I, I don't think I think from my point of view I'm pretty much in a privileged position where I've been able to see and the pits where maybe some kind of speedway fans or people that are involved don't necessarily get to and you don't really realise like until you're in the pit area like how fucking intense it can be it's like it can't it it can get tense and I'm like a walking time bomb mate <laughs> Mate, I know. I'll, I'll, I'll have a mechanic for you enough to know that. Fucking <laughs> only it's fucking two hours and not talking to one another, and then the van we don't shut up on the way home is fucking. It's uh, it's um, I. It's just like you get into the, there's so much testosterone kicking around, and you're just fucking. Uh, everyone's. It's like when you get into pit areas, say like Sheffield, where it's so tight. Like mm. and you've got all the right, it's like a melting pot. It's like if it it just takes the one wrong thing to happen, and if there was ever a track like Sheffield where the pits are so small, if it kicks off in there, everything's getting wrecked. <laughs> the, the bikes, people, <laughs> everything—it's just gone. It's so tight. But uh, I, I, as I say, feeling a bit of privileged position where you can you see behind that behind the curtain a bit where mm. maybe. Fans don't fans don't necessarily see that uh, kind of bit behind the whole the whole thing. Um, yeah, and it's uh, well, actually at Sheffield they can they can see it pretty much in there what's going yeah. on. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But then there's a lot of other places <clears throat> where you can't see nothing. Uh, so, Somerset, like pretty much, like it's pits are hidden. Armadale, the pits are round the other side. Uh, Glasgow's probably a bit like that now, especially for the away team. Unless you're driving, mm-hmm. unless you're like looking in for like the arse end of possible back into the back end of the pitch, you're not seeing anything at all. It's um, I always think it's good when fans can see into the pits and they get that wee bit of where they can see what's going on without actually being hearing what's going on. Probably at the same time. Yeah. What do you see now? What what's going to happen now after all this shit's gone on, all the COVID and that? I don't know what the sport's going to look like. If I'm being honest, I think there's so much. I've seen a few people comment this week about the junior meeting that uh, took place last weekend, 
uh, and how much it was a success. Um, my opinion on that is slightly different. Uh, it really depends what you see in being a success. The fact they managed to run it, excellent, brilliant. But the videos and photos I've seen, there's not too many people with masks on, didn't appear to be a lot of social distancing. And the pits, any photos you've seen, there was nobody wearing masks and stuff. And I think at the moment we're still in, we're probably still in a phase where it's, when you look at Scotland now and there's like spikes or you look at uh, down south like Leicester and stuff like that where there's spikes, it's trying to get out that and um, I heard you speaking to Todd about this, like talking about like getting going for next March. I must admit I don't see... I don't know, going by the, the, the pace that this is happening at, I'm not entirely convinced that next March is going to be realistic. Mm. Um, and I, what I would like to see is, I would like to see is getting ahead of the ahead of the game a wee bit and actually making a, a decision where so riders, more specifically riders, know what's going on. Like for like yourself and all the Aussie boys that have went home, um, or indeed shipped off to Poland um, to then tie into contracts and X, Y and Z where, say for like yourself or whatever, where you go, right, I'm going back to Glasgow, your plans are for the winter, for our winter, your summer are then all surrounded by the fact that you're going to be in Glasgow come end of February, March time. Um, I would like to see us make a decision pretty sharpish about where the sport goes. Like if it gets to December time and we can assess it for there and go, right, where were we three months ago and what's it going to be like in March? But mm. there's a lot of, what I would say is that there is a lot of tracks that would be able to pull off social distancing. Use Berwick and Ipswich is probably big examples. You've got big stadiums there. I mean, I think Ipswich holds a bit I think about 8,000 people or something for the stock cars and yeah. stuff. So, like, it would be fairly easy to hold a socially distant speedway meet. Bellevue. Bellevue, aye. You've got, mm. you've got tracks around the country that would be able to do it. But then when you look at tracks like Glasgow, Wolverhampton, um, Newcastle, it'd be extremely difficult to do that there. So, one big thing that I always say about Speedway is that you've got, when you get the AGM, you've got all clubs for all different demographics, but we're all trying to arrange rules and regs and whatever and try to market the sport as one. When in actual fact, like, Berwick and Pool are very two different places for talking's sake. So trying to get try to get some sort of carpet thing where it covers everyone is extremely difficult. So trying to get something in place where you it's safe for fans to return and to get the sport up and going is going to be hard if we're going to blanket it. It really needs to be up to the... In my eyes, it needs to be up to the individual clubs instead of trying to be... <laughs> instead of... Yeah, I, I think we need to, I think, what I think this is though, is I think it's like a, it's a good opportunity for the sport and especially Britain to assess where we are at the moment. Um, 
in terms of what we could do better. All clubs and promoters and stuff have got a lot of time in their hands now that they wouldn't have normally had. Like it's a good chance to step back and go right. What what is good in British Speedway? What is it that's good, and how can we improve upon what's good and what's bad? What do we ditch? What what is an idea that's out there? Then the way we go about things, it's not good. But again, when the sport runs itself like it does in the UK, it's like turkeys voting for Christmas at times with things that they don't want to do. It's like <laughs> we keep talking. We keep talking about individual bodies and stuff like that. And it's never, like, that's an idea that's never, ever going to happen uh, because you've got, each club will have their own individual interest uh, and everything that they do and they're, they're never going to give up that voting right. And I fully understand all that kind of point of view, but how we get the sport back up and going, my fear is as well is that it's going to work one of two ways. You'll have, you'll have the majority of fans who will have not have seen Speedway for come March, the best part of 18, 19, 20 months, who'll be desperate to go and watch Speedway. And you'll get other fans who have found other things to do and or, and or won't be keen to go back into that setting and won't be keen to go back into uh, somewhere that could potentially put their life at risk. So yeah. it's... There's so many questions at the moment and it's all just a bit raw, I think, uh, and how we get it going. It's, I don't know. I really, really, really don't know how we get it going again. And it's um, it's something that needs to, was, there needs to be a bit more I being proactive towards it. One thing I do think is I do feel sorry for the guys like say like Rob Godfrey, Damien Bates, Debbie, Chris Lewis, Stuart Dixon, all the guys that are on the kind of management committee and stuff like that. I do feel sorry for them because it's like it's a bit of a no-win situation. Like no matter what you do you're going to get criticised for it. Oh um, yeah, it's like being president of America. Aye. It is. It's yeah. no matter what you do aye. It's um, it's going to be tough, regardless to what. I mean, I'm at, like for Rob, who's obviously come in to be the 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 president this year. Um, it's he's been through a situation where there's literally no right answers. If they had called the season's season off in May time, did they get criticised for calling off too early? You're still getting people criticising because it was called off too late. What do you do? And then, like, you were talking to Todd as well like, um, in regards to his testimonial, and obviously guys like Stuart, uh, Stuart Robson, Josh Otte, um, Rory Schlein as well. They, these guys are all, having worked with Derek throughout his testimonial year. Um, the pressure of running these type of meetings is astronomical. Like, I think from the outside, I would always just have seen it as... Um, so I uh, said he's got his testimonial. We just get sixteen of his mates together and have it. That's it. It's as easy as that. But actually, yeah. the work the work that goes into these testimonials is unbelievable, and um, I do feel sorry for them. Um, I also heard you talking to Todd about having it at the start of the year and it being the most sensible time to have it. Actually, when I was listening to it, I could not agree more because I think Derek had his in September. And it wrecked his it wrecked his season. 
because mm. it was just fucking so much pressure throughout the year. We had, Derek had, it's a funny story here, is that Derek had um, been given this bike. It was Hans Anderson's bike from, remember the year where uh, I think it, Carol Wilkinson had an absolute stormer for Peterborough when they were riding against Redden for the Elite League. And mm. Hans Anderson was part of that team. And the bike he rode that night, uh, there was a collector had bought the bike and then donated it to Derek. So what Derek was doing was he was selling raffle tickets for it. So basically every single... I think Derek took this bike to work with him. Honestly, this bike followed us about everywhere. Like, around <laughs> sell raffles everywhere we went. But see something as trivial as that, like having to take this bike everywhere to sell raffle tickets. Like, mm. he, like you were wheeling this bike out as part of Derek's testimonial. Do you want to buy a, a raffle ticket and you could potentially win the bike? That doesn't sound like a big deal, but see when it's wrapped up in everything else, it's, um, it, it's just that there's so much work goes into it and... I just hope for the sake of the guys that had testimonials and farewell meetings and stuff like that, that they get that up and going again. Because um, as you as was talking about as well, it's the financial security of the the testimonial. These are guys that have obviously put in a, a lot of time and effort to the sport and they deserve to be rewarded for that. And uh, when you know that's coming as well, do you know what I mean? And you know you're going to have that stability. Uh, they, at the end of it, whether you choose to keep the money until you retire or whether you choose to reinvest it or whatever, it's just that financial stability. And obviously, I've been involved with yourself and a good few other guys who I know, like from what Todd was saying as well, when you, sometimes you don't know where you can spend money. Like, it's... Oh, I fancy yeah. the, gla the, the glamour in being a speedway rider, but the actual, the harsh reality of it is that you, you're a one-man business who has got mm. to be careful where that money's invested, you know? Yeah. Like, you've you got to be careful in the sense as well as <clears throat> if there's rain-offs, if there's meetings, change the dates, or, you know, like, even though we had that really successful year in 2014, it wasn't to probably... July, where myself and probably Sam, we were actually like pretty settled then, like mm -hmm. we were fine, like with financial sides of things, because you know, you start the year off, you spend a heap of dosh, and then you get everything up and going, and you fuel in the van up at 100 quid a go. Mm -hmm. So, in a obvious sense, that's $200 a, a go, mm -hmm. you, you know, and yeah, it was just. It wasn't until about then that it actually, um, you're in a, a good situation. But if you have it at the start of the year, you don't have the pressure of your testimonials coming up or not organising at all because you can do it all in the winter. But then mm -hmm. you have it at the start of the year and then you've got that stability from the get-go. And I actually said to Todd, I said, you're probably looking at probably one of your your best years coming up if you have it at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and it, the thing is, you know yourself, if you've not got that financial pressure at your back and the pressure's off you a wee bit, then the more relaxed you are, the better you're going to ride, really. Um, if there's more mm -hmm. pressure on you because you need to, <laughs> you're going to take more risks at times. Uh, 
unnecessary yeah. ones just to, to kind of get that extra point or whatever it may be. So it's, uh, I it's, it's definitely I do feel feel for the kind of guys, but it's just I don't I don't know. I think that over the next few months and. I think we'll see the the speedway landscape kind of change in terms of the British speedway anyway, um, and I hope they do do make changes for the better um, because they've got enough time to kind of sit down and talk about it at the moment. I'm sure I seen I spoke to Lee Kilby a couple of weeks ago in our podcast, and then I seen him getting interviewed and saying that they've got a lot of time in their hands. Well, let's hope that that time is spent being a wee bit more mm. productive about what we do with this what we do with the sport and where it actually goes because yeah they need to be proactive of like i don't exactly know what they're doing mm-hmm. but all, all i've seen since it's been cancelled this season is robert lambert european champion mm-hmm. and fucking that's awesome great thing there's been a timing lapse at bellevue and now there's been a, a british youth championship Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know what else is going on. I just think they all think it's, and I'm not criticising them. I just think they, and I'm not in their situation, but they think it's just going to come and go, and it's all going to be back to business as usual. And it's fucking definitely not. Mm-hmm. Definitely isn't going to be. Well, see, I must admit, I've got the same kind of impression myself in terms of it's as if right, we'll write the season off, and then. When it comes to next year, enough time will have passed and everything will be back to normal. When I'm not so convinced that maybe that's me being a bit doom and gloom, but I think we need to be realistic about the world we live in at the moment. And mm. uh, and as well, British Speedway needs to realise where it is in the Brit- in the landscape of of um, kind of in the, the speedway landscape like we are like kind of fourth in the fourth in the rung when it comes to to kind of speedway nations if you if you want to put it like that um and really when guys are looking that it's staying in poland or whatever it may be and at the end of the day that's going to be their first choice that's where the money is at the moment that's where so that that's what they're going to do as shite as that may be that's that's exactly where we're at, and if if the same situation rocks around next year, um, the top guys are going to be doing extra league meetings, and mm. go- and if they're allowed, they'll do Swedish meetings. That's what's going to happen. They'll base themselves in Poland, and that's what they're going to do, and that's the world yeah. that we're living in. Because British Speedway is going to be then down down the ladder. And it would take mm-hmm. it would take a rider to go right out, go total left field, to say I would prefer just to stay in the UK, and I don't see that happening with any of the top guys. And it's a shame yeah. because that this year there was in the lead up to this season there was such a buzz around British Speedway, and it felt it felt good that there was lots and lots of positives around it, uh, like Jason Crump coming back. Uh, Nicky Pedersen coming back, uh, Jason Doyle in the league, Niels Christian Everson, all the teams had like big riders. Uh, I like the look of the, the Bellevue team as well, like Brady, Peter Kilderman, that was an all-action team that you would go, I, I would look forward to watching that team. And you had all these positives around it, and then you went into the championship, and like the teams looked, looked as much as the, you, would, you would always get the teams that would be favourites, like Glasgow, 
but when you looked through it, there was a lot of strong sides as well, and it it did. There was a lot of buzz around about the 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 sport in general uh, in this country, and then it does feel like a bit of shame that it then got curtailed. But I'm just hoping that if we are in a situation where we sit with a thumb up our arse for until March rocks back around, that doing nothing is turns out it ends up working for us but I would like to see some sort of changes kind of made um, what the changes are um, it's not my job I don't get paid for that opinion but it's um, I would like to see that kind of that kind of changing and the thing is is that we've got enough people within the sport with, with, with ideas like that that could work and it's again it's it's whether the ideas get taken on or not, but I would I would hope that by the time March rocks round, if like you say we we just um, we sit and we do nothing and hope that everything's going to be all right and everything goes back to normal, then fair enough if that is going to be the case. But I would like to see us kind of move in a, a in a direction that's going to be positive. Like I said, mm. what are we good at? What can we improve on that's already good? Well, we've managed to tempt the, the big names back. There's obviously already big names within the uh, British Speedway anyway. So how do we improve on that? How do we get more guys for next year? That's the way I'd be looking mm. at it. How do we look at that? Because it's so, okay saying, right, we'll keep the same seven riders, but I guarantee there'll be fans sitting going, well, that's good, but see if this rider comes up and wanted to ride British Speedway, would you not take a chance and go for it? Yeah, that's right. But not not even just like that. Like, even the fact that we don't fucking know. The riders actually don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's just a little bit more correspondence in what's going on and what they're planning and, and doing and all that kind of stuff, that would be a good positive. Because at the moment, every rider's watching Poland and Sweden. Mm-hmm. Every rider's doing that. So... And I've thought about it. I'm like, I need to establish myself in Poland so I can do second, start off in second league in Poland and then go from there. And then hopefully you can work your way up the ladder. And they're the only country at the moment, Poland, Sweden's got going now, but they're the only country that is actually being proactive in getting the sport going. And I know it's, I think I'm pretty sure it's still the number one port in Spolum. Football might be past it, but it's just as a rider looking at it, not as a a fan, not as someone like a promoter or anything, as a rider, we need to look out for ourselves. And at this stage, in my opinion, the only way to go forward now in the sport is to establish yourself in Poland and and raced in Poland, Sweden, and Denmark. Mm-hmm. And that, that's pretty sad to say that because we're, we talk English, Australians talk English, but we, we're not from the UK. But we need to go to the UK because it's more like home. And it's, it, is a, it is a great league to ride in. It's a great country to ride in. But at the moment, it just it feels too much up in the air. Mm-hmm. I cannot see it starting in March. I can see it's going next year but i can't see it going the way that they i don't even know i don't even know what they're thinking that's my problem mm-hmm. but there's just not there's not very good signs looking towards that next year is going to be good 
See, I think this is where if there was some sort of riders union that it would be better where you could have someone in on the, the discussions that could then communicate that to all the riders. The end of the day, mm -hmm. but the BSPA is the clubs, so the clubs should be communicating that to you guys, in my opinion. But mm. if there was a body there that could represent the riders and then they could say, right, just a blanket email to all riders, here's where we're at. Um, but as I say, I, I think most probably clubs are kind of sitting at the moment. Um, I know there's clubs that are being proactive. Like I know Berwick at the moment are fully full steam ahead on plans uh, to have meetings this year. That's going mm. to happen. There will be socially distant meetings happening. Uh, that 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 will go ahead. There will be meetings at Berwick in 2020. Um, but so they're not necessarily looking to next year as yet to see what the, the landscape's going to be. There's more a concentration on right. This is what's happening right now, which is fair enough. That's absolutely fair enough. They want speedway, and that's that. Um, but as you say, like establishing yourself in Poland, and I totally get that for a rider's point of view. At the end of the day, it's a short career. Uh, yeah. guys are risking your lives at the end of the day as well, you want to make as much money as you can doing what you love as well, so I fully get that and for I mean, I, th I think Sam got criticised at one point when we didn't know what was happening in the UK and I think he made a passing comment in an interview to a Polish journalist that maybe got taken out of context where he said uh, something along the lines about uh, he would be willing to stay in Poland to, so that he could race and it kind of got taken out of context that that meant it wasn't doing British Speedway and blah, blah, blah. But if you take a step back for that, could you really blame him? Sam's got a family now and he's got to look after. It's not just a case of what's best for Sam. It's what's best for his family. It's, he's got to, that's his profession. That's what he does for a living. Um, mm. So if he's going to get the money there, it's not, you're not chasing money, you're chasing the career. And yeah. you want to be the best that you can be at that. So if the choice was to sit and do nothing and wait for British Speedway to start, or sit in Poland knowing that you're going to race, what's riders going to do? Of course they're going to race. So yeah. I don't blame the them. The biggest problem, the biggest problem that, that lies is that it is a short career. That's me dog going off in the background, by the way. <laughs> Um, it is a short career and like in my situation now and like riders like Jordan Stewart like if we miss like we've missed this year I've already missed two years in the past but I'm missing this year I fucking cannot afford to miss another one so whether it is like I'm 28 like whether it is establish yourself in Poland and do Poland, Sweden, and Denmark. I actually had the conversation with Peter Facenta, Facina, sorry, Peter Facina, um, uh, like two days ago. Um, and I said, man, I said, I don't really know if I'm going to live in the UK, but I definitely am going to be riding for Glasgow for 2021. That, that is my plan. But I just don't know whether living in the UK at this moment, or especially next year, is the right idea. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't know. Because well, I don't even know if it's going to run. 
Well, that's the thing is that if you if you're making plans and you're looking that far ahead, these are the things you've got to look at and say, well, if there's going Poland, we definitely run. Yep, yep, definitely look at you look at it and go, well, Poland's definitely going to run. If they've run this year, they're definitely running next year. Then why would you? Aye, I, I get I get the point of view. Absolutely, absolutely, mm. and it's it's just. Obviously, as well, that if you're based on in Poland, there's far more opportunities for, like, as daft as it sounds, like, in Germany, because I know you'd signed with a German team in the past, um, there's the, the opportunities to race. Uh-huh, so, open meetings in Germany, you've got... You've, you've now got, obviously, Denmark, Sweden. If you're in the, on the continent, there's far more opportunities for open meetings and stuff. And basing yourself in the UK like that when you're unsure is that it then comes down to fucking ferries and, as you know, that I love. <laughs> yeah. uh, ferries and or the, the tunnel, whatever it may be. And no, because as, as you know yourself, like basing yourself in Scotland uh, like you obviously did 2014 is extremely difficult to then the logistics of that are practically impossible it's so hard to then be able to kind of get yourself out there yeah especially especially if you need to ride on the weekend which most championship clubs are but yeah it is it is hard and like I just want to say I definitely am am going to ride for Glasgow, 100%. But I don't exactly know whether I'm going to live in the UK because going forward in, like, I've probably got 10 years left maybe in the sport. If you look at the big scheme of things, Greg Hancock went to years however long. But, you know, I think sometimes you've got to roll the dice and, and take a chance. And, yeah, at this moment with the uncertainty around the UK, I'm not 100% sure if I'll live in the UK, but I am definitely want to ride mm-hmm. in the UK if it goes ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm quite fortunate. I've got a sponsor of ATPI, which helped with my flights. So the travelling to the UK, if we're allowed, is okay. But that isn't a big financial problem for me. But, yeah, it's, it's, I, don't, I fucking don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what to do. And I'm at a situation where if if it doesn't run next year, I'm proper fucked, proper. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, you can't have two years out of sport and just walk back into it. It's hard enough mm-hmm. doing just one. So, Well, there's yeah, a couple it's, of things like that as well. It's like, well, one, you're obviously not going to be the only guy that's in that position, like guys feel us, and obviously uh, even guys that live in mainland Europe who championship speedway is probably their main kind of income, but to the amount of time that uh, riders are not racing competitively when you come back, I, I think that landscape will change as well. Like you'll get guys who who then kick on, but you'll get guys that'll go the other way because they've been off the bike as long. It's just the, the nature mm. of the beast, you know? It's uh, it's going to you are you are going to get guys that will go one way or another as well who have not not necessarily been obviously you guys and always can possibly get out and get a practice or whatever it may be obviously seen you yourselves been on a bike and maybe like guys like Josh Krasonic's been on the bike or whatever out in Oz. Uh but 
you get guys that literally won't have ridden a speedway bike and uh, since probably mm. the end of end of last season and then you're talking about the start of next season it's it's um it's a long time to be off it and not even if you are practicing it's not the same as going to tapes with another rider and getting into that first corner with three other psychos um so yeah. it's not the same it's not the same yeah so it's but even so, now man like now like at this moment in the time i'm in lockdown so i've got like eight weeks i'm eight weeks i can't go riding speedway Mm-hmm. And even eight weeks off a bike is a long time. So, yeah, yeah and, like, we actually don't know in Australia if there's going to be an Australian season. Mm-hmm. So it's fucking – it's a very difficult – That's difficult what I was going to thing. ask. Is there no, there no – so you guys not been told anything about an Australian championship or anything like that? Is that not on the horizon to speak about at the moment? Well, at the moment, man, we're in lockdown, so – no one from New South Wales and South Australia can come to Victoria, and there's two rounds of the Aussie title in Victoria. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and they're both in Madura and Aubrey, and they, they live on the they, – they're like – both them towns are on the border of New South Wales. So – but to get across the border, you got to be like, oh, what are you going there, over there for? Oh, I work, like, in, like, situations that I'm in. I'm working in New South Wales, but I'm from Victoria. So you just give them the permit and say, I'm literally working fucking 10 kilometres down the road. But if you go over there and say, oh, I'm actually going to race my motorbike at the border control with the armies there, not the fucking police, <laughs> the armies there, I'm going to race my motorbike, man. Fucking no, you're not. <laughs> this is not going to happen. I know. And Australian speedways like the UK... They are not going to run any events unless if they can, you know, get people in the gate and and get the sponsorship in, because mm-hmm. it's just going to be a financial nightmare. But see that that's the, the, what you just said there. That's the the main thing for British Speedway is that um, when you look at Poland, their 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 income is well, say their income where they get the money to pay the riders is obviously local councils are heavily involved with each club, uh, especially mm-hmm. at the top level, and then you've got the TV money. It's practically like well, soccer really in in the UK where the it doesn't matter if there's fans in the stadium or not, they're still earning x amount of money from the the tv deals and then the councils will kind of stump up the rest and then the amount of sponsorship in poland's absolutely insane so mm. it's just a, compa- i always think comparing polish speedway to british speedway is like it's like comparing the sun and the moon it's like two completely different things altogether. it's like a completely different sport altogether. it's like mm. It, it's so far apart it's scary and any fan that's listening to us that thinks that there is no diff- like it's just a different league it's it's a different league alright it's miles and miles and miles apart uh, mm. from what British Speedway is it's totally run completely differently um, it's worked completely differently and it, it, I would disappointed to say that British Speedway will never reach that level of what the extra league is at at the moment. That's probably the peak 
at the moment, just now, you're probably at the peak of how good Speedway can get domestically or what it is in the top league in Poland. It's never going to get any better than that. Where TV money no. is literally funding the sport. That that You're never, ever going to get any better than that. That's a fact. And they've got the best riders. Mm-hmm. The most expensive riders, the best riders. And and I know what you're saying, and I'm not, I don't want to knock British Speedway, but it is, and like, I don't really know what to say here, but like British Speedway is very, very good. I, I love riding in Britain. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's basically all I've done. But you just want to see something better. You want to mm-hmm. see them young kids going through the gates. You want to see, you know, two, 3,000 people at, at meetings instead of 1,100, 1,000, if that. Like, you just, yeah, it's just a little bit doom and gloom right now, which it isn't nice, but... I, th- I think it's, a, it's, a, it's basically an awareness of where... I think this, the, the sooner the, the powers that be realise what British Speedway is, and, to, and I don't mean that as a criticism in any way, shape or form. What I mean is, is that we need to realise what British Speedway is. It's, a, it's, it's Well, the demographic for British Speedway is it's a lot of older kind of people that go, and I don't particularly think there is there's people involved there that necessarily know how to tap into a younger market and to make it more appealing to kind of younger people. I mean, Ty has basically he especially after his first world championship worked his arse off to get British Speedway into the mainstream and without really any backing from the sport in this country. It was like, ah, well, there's Ty can go and do that. That's fine. And it was like, there was no, how can we get involved? How can we ride on the back of this? I just think it's it just, I see, like, again, being involved in with Beric, and I see what the guys are doing. They're constantly trying to tap into younger markets and stuff. And it's a bit, it's a bit getting that way of just Glasgow are the same as well. Like Glasgow, are brilliant. Like we try to get families and younger kind of audience in and stuff like that. And it's just a bit tapping into that market. Um, I think as well, clubs need to realise that social media isn't the be all and end all as well, because your demographics on social media. Like if you look at the average age of your fans that are coming through the gate. Are they really looking on Twitter to see what time the meeting starts? No, we're not. <laughs> no. So we, we need to. Although, although that's that's great, and the the guys are your st- the the older kind of generation are probably the staples of British Speedway at the moment. Is that we need to we need to make this more appealing and be able to tap into it. The cost the cost of getting into a British Speedway match is too expensive in my opinion, but. I don't run their businesses for them, so I'm not. I'm not going to have an. The only opinion I have on that is, as a consumer, I think sixteen, seventeen, eighteen pounds at some tracks is far too expensive for fifteen heats of speedway. There needs to be more around about it, like Glasgow do. They put on other stuff around about it, which is fantastic. And it's more engaging for kids and families and stuff like that. Brilliant, but like that is that's one area that needs looking at about how how do we get 
like even if it was like a marketing weekend where you said like uh this week in British Speedway and all clubs done it and all clubs followed the, the advertising process and went it's a ten pound week in British Speedway, every single track you can get in for a tenner and like spread it nationwide and you got a buzz around about it, you get people, you then get other like fans would then get involved in it, try and like, use social media for that aspect to try and engage the younger people to come and give it a try, etc. There needs to be some sort of marketing thing at the back of that. They do have really good marketing people involved with the BSPA, obviously you've got the, the guy from Bellevue who's phenomenal at it, it would, it would seem. Uh, need more guys like that um, uh, to try and get everybody together to go right we've got some money in the bank as a bspa we can cover some losses but here it is 10 pound speedway for the week market that up get it promoted out there get it on contact all the local tv stations and radio networks and stuff like that and try and get some more time and and do it like that and market the sport as a whole with that but then obviously clubs have got to do their part as well but it's um it's a big subject we're talking about sedge it's not just uh it's not just uh let's do this and this will work it's massive it's massive and at the end of the day the government of class british speedway is an elite sport now the sad bastard that i am <laughs> I, I went and read on the government website what constitutes an elite sport in this country and speedway makes up with it like literally by the skin of its teeth to be in an elite sport i think every speed every speedway fan would i think would happily admit that speedway is not an elite sport but when you look at the kind of government guidelines and stuff if it is an elite sport we need to start acting it mm. it's probably the, the very harsh way to look at it but yeah we we need to we need to start moving. We need to start moving. Probably having a right rant it's here, a, Sage man. <laughs> I know what you mean, man. It, it's a it's a touchy subject, and I don't really I don't want to knock knock British Speedway because there's a lot of great people in it, and there's a lot of good promoters, and that have been promoting for fucking older than what I am, probably older than what you are. Mm-hmm. So they obviously know how to run a business, but. Times are changing and we're in fucking really strange times and yeah, it's it's crazy. It is crazy. But we'll go we'll go on a different subject. Go for it. <laughs> Who's gonna be world champion? Ty. 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 Uh, it's, um, I I th- I think uh, just watching Ty as I said earlier on, I'm not massive on the Polish stuff uh i gave it a go i gave it a good four weeks but it's not really i thought it was i've never i'll I'll be honest i've never really watched polish speedway like religiously before where i would watch friday sunday and watch watched every meeting every heat but the more i watched it i thought there's quite a lot of enigmas in polish speedway um and what I would say is, I thought the tracks would be a hell of a lot better than what they, what they are. There was quite a lot of slick tracks um, mm-hmm. being kind of out there. But what I would say, to get back to the original question, is that Ty, although he's, for the meetings that I've watched, he's not been, 
he's not been his usual self out the gate, but when he's behind, he just looks mega quick. And although I would probably say that he's not posting like maximums and stuff like that, I think he's gearing towards something, I must admit. Uh, I think Vatulik is obviously on fire at the moment. Um, mm. And it's it's like he's looking really, really good. But one of the guys that helps us kind of do stuff in the background of the podcast, a uh, guy named James Black, he, he wrote an article for our website um, and he was saying that, and I actually agree with us wholeheartedly, the fact that there's no temporary tracks going to be involved this year, they could see some of the guys like Vatslik and that, that, that'll that play into their hands a bit. I always think the kind of the kind of top six in the, the, the standings kind of always kind of, they seem to be the better kind of riders on the kind of temporary tracks when there's maybe it's a kind of nobody really knows what they're going to kind of thing mm. whereas i think when we're getting set up for these kind of these kind of meetings i, I think smarslik's obviously going to be there or thereabouts um he obviously had a bit of a start of the season probably wasn't what he was looking for but when he was on it he was really on it when he wasn't he was really off it but he was he still he still looks the man but I just I I think maybe maybe my heart's rolling my head saying Ty because obviously I want Ty to win it. Um, but uh, I don't think it'd be far away. Put it that way. If you to force me to put a bet on, I'd be putting it on Ty. But you've got guys like say footing over and everything. It, like see, literally when you look at maybe the top ten riders, they've all got the potential to do it. It's just about getting the consistency at that level and. There's, like if you look at like the year the year that Doyle won it and the year before he won it before he crashed, like see getting that level of consistency at that level of the sport is insane to think that some that riders can actually achieve that mental capacity to go and do that. And I think it it takes special, special individuals to go and do it. But I would I would probably say tie at the moment. That would who my money would be on, I definitely think. Who who are you thinking? Well, you kind of summed up a few things there. I really, really actually want him to win. Um, and that is Artem Laguda. I actually really want him to win. He started off the season like oh, fucking unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He was just so fast. He looked so good on a bike. His starts were unreal. Um, he's kind of dipped off a little bit now. Not too much. He's still getting the big double-figure scores, but, yeah, consistently, now that he's not going to those man-made tracks, which you just said, I really do believe that he could possibly win it. The other person, I think, is Vakulik because they're not going any temporary tracks. And... The person who I actually really think that's going to win it is going to be Sofutnoth. Really? Mm. I think he is just unreal at the moment. He's, the way he's riding a bike, he's it's effortless. And mm-hmm. he's riding so calmly and it's so effortless and calmly. And it's a lot like Ty did when he won his world titles. He was just so calm and everything was just so – looked so effortless at it definitely wasn't, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just think the way he's going, it's. I think if he doesn't 
crash, which he's stopped doing a lot. <laughs> he, um, yeah, I think he's the one to beat. I'd say the top three will be Emil, Ty, Laguda, and then probably the the top six would I'd put Vakulik in the top six, and yeah, I would even mention Smarzlik there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's in the top six. I don't know if he can go back to back, and I'd like to see Doily in the top six, but then you got like the Lindgren, Madsen, everyone like Madsen's you know, in fire as well, wasn't he? He's- Stepped up a fair bit, Madston, the last couple of years, and um, it's very, very fast, very quick. Uh, I can see, I, I could see him being involved in the mix, but as, as I said, when you look at all the riders you mentioned there, all it takes is just for a bit of consistency, and it's suddenly you're in the mix. Well, that I mean, that's again like Doyle Ty. When you look at it, it's like that's when they won the world. That's well, it's just consistency at that level, and. I think what plays into Ty's hands a bit as well is where the track, the tracks that they're going to be using. It's it's obviously Rotslav's his home track at and uh, extra Liga. He's always kind of seemed to go well at Prague. I think that'll play into his hands a wee bit as well. But again, mm. all the all these riders are very familiar with the tracks that we're going to, so it's not as if there's some sort of home advantage there. But uh, that's. One of the reasons I would kind of lean lean towards that. I also seen today that Chuganov was one of the one of the wild cards as well. Not that I think he mm. could actually get involved in to actually win it, like some wild cards that you would maybe kind of pick or whatever. But um, it's definitely come on this year. Looks looks like a talent, definitely. But the 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 Grand Prix, it's just. Um, so difficult, like when when you think it, it's just the top 16, 15 guys really just throwing bikes at one another for twenty odd heats. It's it's just insane. It's um it's it's a spectacle that they seen these top guys race against one another. And must admit, I'm I've I, I used to dip in and out of the the Grand Prix series and watching it over the last few years. I've kind of watched it more kind of religiously, really. Um. And it's, I would say the series is is picking up again. I think for a wee while there it kind of dipped, where it wasn't as much a spectacle as what you, what it was in the past. But I definitely think it's picking up. I mean, one guy you never mentioned there as well was Janowski. Um, he's another guy that if he got going with a bit of consistency, could easily find himself top three. Um. But again, it's like you've seen the clear progression in Smarts, like really, didn't you? Where he was just kind of climbing, climbing to being consistent. Getting, I suppose it's you'll know you'll probably you'll be able to tell me this better. You being the rider, but it's actually getting used to that environment, being around the Grand Prix and getting used yeah. to the media attention and big crowds and the the lead up to it, the preparation it goes into. It. You can't. Very few riders would just jump into that, and it would feel like home to them, and they would feel mm. comfortable in those surroundings. It's um, Lagut is an interesting one for me, as you say. Started the the season in fire, obviously fearless, absolutely fearless, and again, if he got if he, if he got that consistency, 
that's what Grand Prix are all about. It's not necessarily about winning every single Grand Prix. It's just about getting in there and making sure that you score enough points, isn't it? It's 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 not about it's not about what nobody needs to win this. What, what is it? Six rounds they're doing, or maybe eight rounds they're talking about. I've seen Big Gosh quoted as a possible venue. Um, yeah, I I don't exactly know what they're doing now. I did see they run two two Grand Prix at the one venue. Uh huh. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. But I'm a, I must admit, I'm, I'm surprised that there is going to be a series. I did predict on, on my own podcast that they, they would cancel the Grand Prix off and then like restage them at the same venues, which they've done. But uh, I, I'm still surprised, considering it's BSI's last season at it, that they've just not ditched it altogether. Um, mm. suppose it comes down to insurance policies and what they're getting paid out for and I suppose they still need to kind of fulfil commitments to certain tracks and obviously TV companies and stuff but yeah. I've a, a wee bit surprised that they've um, that there is actually a world championship or not a one-off uh, which I think would have been quite unfair to a lot of guys because you imagine you've got a one-off meeting and say for talking sake Doyle crashed Ty crashed, guys that are are smarts like crashed, and they're out here for next year because they don't make the top eight. That's mm. that that seems quite harsh, uh, for one round if you're going to work it like that. But I know obviously you've you've done a bit of work with with, with, with Robert Lambert. Uh, how do you think he'll get on in the Grand Prix next year? Going in this season's form anyway, will be fine. But how do you think he's going to go? Well, last year, um, I was injured, but and like I had a bit of time to like go go with him, and it wasn't really like go with him and help him. It was more like go with him and just hang out. And um, I actually said to him like a little bit through it, I said, "Man, you're doing way too much." I said, "He's actually come out and said like the lesser schedule has helped him, but." The whole – he did everything he could last year. He did the UK, he did Poland, he did Sweden, he did the Grand Prix, which he was kind of just meant to be the fill-in. He did the World Under-21s, he did the Speedway of Nations, he did the World Under-21 teams, he did open meetings in Germany. He did absolutely everything. And uh, I, I, I said to him, I said, man, like, fuck, this is insane. Like, you're just too busy. I said, you just can't do it. And I think with him, he got injured a bit and now he's had more time off now to actually get the set ready for the season. And now he's just doing Poland. He did the European Championships. A bit doom and gloom, but I don't know if he wants to be as busy next year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think... I think he's going to concentrate on on the things that matter most to him. So if he's not too busy, I think he'll do very good. And I predict him, the way he's riding at the moment, he's definitely going to make the top six next year. Mm -hmm. Do you think a lot of guys would would kind of look at that uh, in terms of they've had a taste this year and not been as busy as maybe what they normally would be and kind of looking at it go... Right, well, if I cut back my schedule, it's uh, my life's going to be a bit easier in terms of, as you say, not doing as many meetings, not as much risk as well. 
let's be honest, mm. the more meetings you do, the more risk you're putting yourself in. Uh, you, you think a lot of guys will look at that and just think, I need, need to, could I cut back the schedule? This suits me a bit better. Yeah, I don't know. I know a rider like Doily, he needs to be riding every day of the week. Mm-hmm. So it all comes down on the personal preference. But the way Lambert has rode this year, definitely the, the lesser schedule has helped him a lot. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, he's he's running in the morning. And, you know, the only time he was running when I was with him was running to get in the fucking aeroplane. So, <laughs> you know, there's all that side of things. And he probably just feels a lot better. I know he's simplified his, his life a bit more this year as well. He based himself in Poland and... Yeah, he's got an apartment in Poznan, so it's just like jump on the plane or whatever it would have worked. But, yeah. Two, like you said it before, the way that riders carry themselves in the Grand Prix, you look at Greg Hancock, and the reason why he was so good later in his career, one, he was an exceptionally good rider and didn't get injured very much. Two, is that when he went to Cardiff or um, or Copenhagen or any of the man-made tracks, he'd already done 15 years. Mm-hmm. He'd done 15 – he'd already done 15, 16 meetings on it, on them mm-hmm. track. You know, so he went to Cardiff and he, he won a few times at Cardiff, but he'd already done 15 – he'd already been to Cardiff 15 or more times. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the level of consistency – is a big, big part in those man-made tracks. And now that they've been taken away and they're at tracks where they ride at all the time, will play dividends to the guys that will win the championship. But then you look at, like, Ty, he's really good at Prague and then he's, he's at his home track at Rockslav. And then you look at Doily and he's won at Prague a couple of times and he's also won at Gorjov. So, fuck, man. Don't know. <laughs> I don't know. What yeah. do you think about? I don't know if you heard this in the podcast that we did with uh, Martin Dugard last week. He was talking about. Um, so, see, you're talking about that experience of being in, in Cardiff and the man made tracks. It's like he was talking about like, the oxygen levels. And so, see, like Cardiff, when the, the roof shut and he's like, the, the heat in the place, it takes the oxygen out of the place, affects the engines and stuff like that. That, again, is just necessarily reasons why, like, guys who maybe don't have the experience of going in there are not realising that actually, like, you need, like, a fucking powerful, even though it's a small track, you still need the, the powerful engine in there to get to get going because, fuck it, there's no air. You know what I mean? You only realise that, like, from years of experience, like, being in the man-made tracks and stuff like that. But, again, this season, that's been taken out of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well... It's funny you say that because they all do practice at Cardiff or Copenhagen and there's no people in there. Uh-huh. Right. And then, and then you go and put 40,000 people in there, screaming air horns, fucking hot food fans and all that Pirate- kind of shit. Pyrotechnics. <laughs> yeah. Man, it, it, it's a big deal when, yeah, I, I noticed that when I rode at Melbourne that, to be fair, that's a big stadium and there was 25,000 people there that day. But you did practice and I was just like, fucking Jesus, this is insane. And then you walk out and it's your first one or 
it's at your home country or whatever. You walk out and then it's like Justin Sedgman and then the fucking lights go on and there's 25,000 people fucking cheering for you. Just like, fucking Jesus. Like, it's a big deal. So guys like Greg and Crumpy, they and Ricards, and they were the ultimate. And the only one really to kind of grab that kind of atmosphere since then has been Thai. Like, when you go to Warsaw, I'd hate to be a Polish rider. That would be the most nerve-wracking thing to do. 55,000 people in a full stadium, that's as much as they can get in, and they're all Polish. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. I actually don't know why they're still not having an event at Warsaw. They should have put one there. Mm. I was at Warsaw a few years ago, and that is one of the loudest atmospheres I've ever ever witnessed. It was so fucking mm. loud. Like, it's not even just winning races, it's like making a gate. You know what I mean? It's like you make a gate and the full place just erupts and mm. you're like, fucking hell, it's loud. Really, really <laughs> loud. You're like, fucking yeah. hell. It's, it it's, it's insane. Mm. Yeah, no, nah, it's, it's nuts, man. No, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, we'll we'll have to just wait and see. Tie safe fitting off smarts like that's my top three. Righto. Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Emil. I'm changing it already. Emil Tyre. I'm not going to change it actually. Emil Tyre Luguda. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, man. We might wrap it up there, eh? Good man. Enjoyed it, mate. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Good yeah. luck with it all. Yeah, nah, cheers for jumping on. Well, there you have it. Framey. Got it done. Yeah, that was um, a pretty interesting one. Um, I was actually pretty fortunate that <laughs> when I was learning how to do all the podcasts and and that type of thing, that uh, we recorded it on Skype, and I think it would have been a little bit better if we didn't have it on the video call when it was just the just us talking but yeah i hadn't seen him for a while so it's good to see his face and um yeah he uh he obviously had it on his skype and he edited a few things like just from the start because we were kind of like well what the fuck's going on here and is it working and yeah then we got we got into it so i think he edited probably a minute off it so yeah nah thank you for that that was um really nice of him to to help me along and like I said, check out his his podcast. Uh, that's Talk Speedway. Really good one. They talk to some cool people and and yeah, it's got kind of a bit more of a news type of thing. It's not two blokes or girl or a guy and a girl or whatever, whatever you want to call it, talking. It's just a bit more of the news and you know that um they're right onto it. Like they're fanatics about the sport really, and they do a good job. So. Yeah, that was good to good to get him on and um, see what he's thinking. Um, yeah, this episode was obviously brought to you by ATPI, the legend Ian Sinderson. He's uh, I don't think he's bored at the moment. I think he's um, pretty busy. <laughs> so yeah, I hope everything's going well with him. 
uh, CPM Builders, Mildura, Mally Bearings, Mildura, Zilzy Wines, Red Care Logistics in the UK. If you need anything sent around Europe or whatever, get onto them. And they've got vans all over the shop. And STE Engineering. And the, yeah, the Talk Speedway podcast. So yeah, it was really good. Good to talk to him. Hope you've enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I think uh, the next two, I think you're going to like. They're two two English guys, so I won't say too much just yet. But um, yeah, they're they're entertainers, that's for sure. So yeah, we'll hopefully get them over over the weekend and um, get them out there. Thanks, everyone. See ya.